All right. Hey, good to see you, Kurt. Good to see you, Aaron. So let's just jump right in because last time uh, you said that I was putting words in your mouth when I suggested that uh, that it sounded like you were saying that the church has become the business of religion and 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 I said it sounded like you wanted to dismantle that business and you said you're putting words in my mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't say that so why don't you why don't you set us straight because it sounded to me like uh, like you were saying buildings get in the way uh, professional clergy gets in the way of a multiplying movement of disciples. So uh, if that's not the case, set me straight. Gosh, okay. So the, um, you know, people say uh, sometimes they they jump to uh, immediately as if um, they jump to the idea or the conclusion that we're uh, promoting just dismantling the religious system, the building-based system, whatever you want to call it, conventional, traditional, uh, what, we're really, what we're really promoting is that we uh, help that system to become a equipping, sending organization. You know, I have a friend who recently said to me, uh, he said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so why are the Christians many? Right? So we've got many, many Christians, 2.3 billion uh, in the world, but they aren't laborers like they're supposed to be. Okay. So we're talking about developing and maturing everybody to the level of an obedient, reproducing disciple of Jesus, not just a passive spectator, not just a Christian church member, because that's not what Jesus told us to do. Okay. So you're not saying that we need to do away with the the, the building-based system. I am not saying we need to do away with the building-based system. I'm saying that uh, we need to change the building-based system. And I'm also saying that uh, the building-based system is not necessary for the Church of Jesus Christ to exist. And sometimes I say that, people look at me like, Oh my gosh, I, I said that Saturday uh, to a group of small group leaders at a large church in a nearby city. And, and then I put a map of the world on the wall and I said, now just think for a minute. The whole country of Russia, it's illegal for you to, you can't build church buildings anymore. Country of China, it's not legal. Now, Indonesia. Be careful because Russia mm-hmm. and China might be listening to this. That's true. And Sorry. welcome to okay. the podcast, Russia and China. Okay. All right. But uh, there are people who, uh, I mean, really in the vast majority of the world, uh, all of the Middle East, uh, large, you know, North Africa, building buildings and ordaining clergy and giving the clergy special special clothing to identify who they are is problematic it uh it, it's going to get people killed uh they would not it, they wouldn't gather everybody in a building put a cross on top and let the community know when they're meeting that would be stupid because then the people who oppose them would know where when when they are when they're meeting and where they're going to be and so they can come and you know uh whatever harm them and so for a large part of the world meeting in small groups in secret 
is the only way that they can really function. Uh, many people know about the church in China, which is multiplying rapidly, 30, 40,000 people coming to Christ every day, but all through small groups, networks in secret. You've got people who are running a network of a million disciples with a cell phone and no ordained clergy and no buildings. Uh, and so that kind of a system is multiplying around the world. There's also just the issue of economics. You've got parts of the world where it's legal, but it's not feasible. You know, they just can't afford to build buildings. I mentioned that last time that, that sometimes they, when they realize I can do this with a cell phone from my living room, they go hand the keys back to the landlord because it's just more economically sound. Okay. Okay. You said sometimes people jump to the conclusion that mm -hmm. you want to do away with with all of this. You, yeah. You told a, a, a story once uh, just about... Little old lady? Yeah. 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 So um, I was having breakfast. Uh, I was out, supposed to meet a guy to talk about discipleship and actually to talk about how to transition their conventional church into a disciple-making, multiplying church. Um, but the man had some health issues. He couldn't come. So I'm having breakfast by myself. And this white-haired couple sits down at the booth, you know, just across from me. And the husband keeps making eye contact with me. And I thought, that's peculiar, but I wonder if he's a believer. And then they prayed before their meal. So I thought, okay, they're believers. And then when his wife went to the restroom, I scooted over a booth and, and struck up a conversation with the, the man. Um, and then the wife came back. And when she came back, you know, we we're talking about what, like, just spiritual things. And, of course, they immediately tell me what denomination they are and, you know, where they go to church and the name of their pastor. Because that's their system. That's the, the way people talk. And, and Sure, yeah, that's how you identify. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, right. Yeah. You hear people say, oh, who's your pastor? And what a great preacher he is. And I just love how, what a good teacher he is or whatever. Um, so they're doing that kind of thing. And then they said, well, what about you? And uh, what denomination are you? And I said, oh, I'm not prejudiced. Uh, I, I, I work with all denominations. And they, you know, that was peculiar to them, of course. They hadn't heard that before. And they said, well, you know, say more about that. And I said, well, I, I run a nonprofit organization, and we're uh, in the business of making obedient disciples of Jesus who know how to make more obedient disciples of Jesus. So all around the world, we've got thousands and thousands of these People who just look in the Word of God, do what Jesus told them to do, and then help other people to look in the Word of God and do what Jesus told them to do. And when I said that, basically, we make disciples who make disciples. This little white-haired lady, probably 80 years old, she said, but we do need the churches, and we do need the pastors in the buildings. And I said, well, we're in a free country, so it's nice that we can have those things here. But in much of the world, that's not an option. And even when the New Testament was written, that wasn't an option. They were in persecution, so they met in small groups, in homes, in hiding. And, and so we're seeing that the small group um, dynamic is what is the most effective in helping people really grow and mature and have accountability so that they can live the life that Jesus died for them to live. Did you say that to this lady? I think I went into teaching mode there at the end. I, uh, 
No, we had to, you know, but I did say the thing about the world. I said, you, you, you know, if you think about it, the rest of the world doesn't have that option. It's either too expensive or it's illegal. It'll get people killed around half the world. We live in America. We have religious freedom right now. So we can build buildings and we can ordain clergy and we can have seminaries. But for much of the world, you know, where I work, that's not an option. So we teach them to do it in small groups and secret hiding. That's what I, that's what I said. How did she respond? She just she just looked at me like she had never thought that in her life. Like, oh my gosh, I've never I've always thought we have to have this business of religion, this big building-based parking lot, you know. My my mother just told me it's going to cost $60,000 to redo their parking lot at their at their church and they don't, you yeah. know, where are we going to get the money? And I thought, wow, you could bring a lot of people into the kingdom with that $60,000. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, so to uh, correct the assumption that I made, the words that I was putting in your, in, in your mouth, what you're, what you're saying is buildings are not necessary. Mm-hmm. Paid clergy is not necessary. Correct. That, that multiplying movements are happening without those things yes. around the world mm-hmm. today. Um, when I hear that, or when I talk to other people about that, about that concept, uh, it seems like the immediate concern is, but wait, who's going to protect orthodoxy? Wait, who's going to keep people from going down a path into, into heresy? Uh, some people, uh, a lot of people who I know, are aware of a home-based Bible study or a home church of people who kind of went off, off the Off track, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Happens all like, the time. Like weirdo things went on, so we look at that and go, well, we need some protections in place, mm-hmm. so professional trained clergy seem to be uh, a good way to put those protections in place. If that's not there, what keeps things from getting weird? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, uh, when you said, you know, professional, uh, you know, clergy seem to be a good way to keep that from happening, uh, immediately I, I, I thought of the, the fact that if we look at church history and where the heresies came from, they always came from the top down. The heresies never start with the uneducated, kind of lowest tier lay people and then infect the church. You don't find the pastor or the priest or the bishop believing some lie that some farmer invented. But if the bishop or the pastor or the priest comes up with some funky, whacked out, unbiblical uh, doctrine, and then they disseminate that to the people that they have spiritual authority over, that's when heresies actually, you know, take root, take hold. It's always from the top down, never from the bottom up. And so in these disciple-making movements where everybody's functioning at the bottom, uh, everybody's just a, you know, just a unschooled, ordinary person who's been with Jesus trying to live the, the life that Jesus calls us to live. Um, so there are, in most disciple-making movements that I'm aware of, use something, they use a tool called the Discovery Bible Study. This is a Bible study where 
It's not your average Bible study. It's not about knowledge accumulation. Most Bible studies that people have uh, gone to throughout most of their lives in American churches focus on knowing the Bible, knowing more information. Uh, But the Discovery Bible study focuses on obedience and replication. So are you going to actually obey the word, put it into practice in your life, and are you going to share it with other people so you can identify people where you can start another Discovery Bible study? That way it continues to grow. There's two rules in the Discovery Bible study, uh, and only two rules, which anybody can follow. Rule number one is only discuss the passage you're studying today. So the people with lots and lots of stories and lots and lots of Bible knowledge, you know, people, pastors, for example, have a hard time with that that um, rule because they know so many scriptures that come to mind and they it's difficult for them to just hold it to one scripture. But what that does is it levels the playing field. So people tend to feel like they're all equals. Whether you've been in Christ for five minutes or for 50 years, you were just discussing this passage. So mm-hmm. everybody you know, feels like they can discuss it as equals. And then the second rule is if anyone introduces a heresy, anyone introduces a false teaching, anything that's not found in the passage, you can simply ask them, where do you see that in this passage? Which eliminates all the heresy because my Bible doesn't have any false teaching in it. And, and so as long as we stick to Scripture and just that passage we're studying that day. Now, if you've been together with a group for you know a period of time, obviously it's okay to refer back to, well, remember last week we studied, you know, whatever. And as a group, we're accumulating both knowledge and action and, um, and sharing and, and so that we can replicate. Um, and the other thing that is really central to just disciple-making movements in general, whether they use the Discovery Bible Study or not, is the idea that the primary teacher of truth is not a human being. Okay. Uh, wait, let me guess. It has something to do with Jesus. Well, you're a good Sunday school student, right? The answer is always something to do with Jesus. The um, Yeah, the reality is that uh, there are there are four sources of teaching, really. Uh, and when we look in the Word of God, and, and this gets missed sometimes. I mean, I in my um, early days as a follower of Christ, I thought that I needed to sit and listen to somebody who, know, who knew more than me teach me what the Bible means or what it says. Um, but in disciple-making movements, that's, that's not the case. And even in the New Testament, it's not really what the New Testament teaches at all. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, they will all be taught by God. He's talking about the people that the Father draws to him. He says they will all So all the people who are being drawn to Jesus by the Father get taught by God, the Father, directly, which that was a new revelation to me. I didn't know that God the Father was willing to teach me personally. I thought he was too busy, you know, I don't know, maintaining the universe. Um, and, and, And then it goes on to say, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me, Jesus said. And so when we do our trainings, we ask the 
clergy, we're usually training clergy overseas, we ask them, does everyone who listens to you come to Jesus? And of course, nobody's arrogant enough to answer yes to that. So they, they say, no, no, uh-uh. And, and, uh, but I say, well, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't you have better success? Wouldn't you have you know, just a greater return on your investment if you teach them how to be taught by the Father? Because it says everyone, which leaves no one out, will, be, will come to Jesus if they're taught by God. So teach people to be taught by the Father. Exactly. That's that's interesting. I want to I want to back it up a moment. Sure. Um, to d- discovery Bible studies, because if I'm in 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 my skeptical mind, mm-hmm. I, I hear you say, take a passage of scripture. We all look at the passage of scripture. We're looking to be taught by God. We're looking at obedience. We're not uh, drawing in outside teaching. We're not pulling from uh, from from other sources. Um, but my skeptical mind goes, okay, so what if somebody who's facilitating one of these groups opens up to one of the Old Testament passages about going into a, uh, a place and, you know, essentially killing everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, okay, so this is the passage. So... Um, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about people? And what am I going to do about it? We can see how that would potentially have some uh, some application, some obedience, that unless somebody were to say, hold on, let's talk about how Jesus reveals the, the, the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're just left with that, if somebody were to say that in, in that in that context, and somebody said, "No, whoa, 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 whoa wait, mm-hmm. where do you find that in this passage?" Did you see the problem I'm, the, the, that I'm laying out? Like I do. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody listening, they're hearing about Discovery Bible Study, and they're going, "Well, yeah, but, but then that opens it up for someone to pull things out of context and to ask people, "No, don't try to understand it." better don't try to find insight just obey it mm-hmm. uh, sure th- that seems problematic it, it certainly could be uh, and that's the reason why and I think I mentioned this in our in our first uh, podcast but that's the reason why in our ministry uh, and other people who are doing just not just discovery Bible study, but disciple-making movements, that we have something like a firewall. We, we use the phrase, where do you see that practice in the practices of the New Testament church? And that's foundational to everything that anybody in a disciple-making movement should be doing. So if, if you go back to what did Jesus do, what did Paul do, what did Peter do, um, if they either did do the thing or would do the thing, then it's acceptable for us to do it. Like, would Paul fly on an airplane? Probably. Just okay. a more efficient mode of transportation. Yes, yes. I, I remember you talked about that. So we're, we're talking about a group, though, where there are people in the group who don't know the practices of the first century church. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're new to it. So are you saying that we're trusting a facilitator who does know the practices of the first century church. Is that what you're 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I can say with confidence that that has not become a problem in disciple-making movements. In tens of thousands of of, of groups that you've seen come out of your training, that hasn't hasn't been a problem. Right. And, 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 you know, tens of millions of disciples multiplying in networks around the world in other ministries and other organizations, not just our own. Um, and, and the thing, I guess, what comes to my mind at this point is that discipleship is a lot like spiritual family. You know, we have physical families. You and I are parents. We have children. Our children will grow up. They'll get married. They'll have children. And the, the family relationship always stays intact. This is one, this is one way where this differs from sort of hit and run evangelism, for example, where it's, you know, you, you, you share the gospel, you get them to pray the prayer, and then maybe take down their name or number and you leave and move on. And there may or may not be any continued relationship there. Whereas in discipleship, there is relationships that oftentimes that are already established. And then the word of God and the power of God enters those relationships. And so people who are already your neighbors, who are already your family, your cousins, your co-workers, you know, so those relationships are already there. And then the power of God comes into those relationships. And so there's always this accountability, this, you know, if if one group said, hey, we've decided that we're going to go and we're going to eliminate all the people who don't follow God because we see some king in the Old Testament did that. Um, there would be people around them to checks and balances and say, okay, but remember practices of the New Testament church. We're not living in the Old Testament anymore. So did the New Testament church do that? Or are we under a new agreement with God now? It's different than the agreement. So even though we're talking about small groups gathering, maybe under a tree, maybe on a hillside, maybe in a a home, they're not in isolation, right? They there is a there's a network, absolutely. That's uh, mm-hmm. that that's supporting this. That, yeah, that continues okay. f- really forever. That's mm-hmm. that's very that's very helpful. Um, I interrupted you. You were talking about helping people, teaching people to learn from God. God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what does what is what does that look like? How does one teach someone to learn from God? Yeah, great question. So what I wanted to what I wanted to just um, I guess finish uh, uh, fleshing out. There were four things. Yeah, four teachers. Yeah, and I interrupted. So, you. but ultimately, there's only one teacher. But in the New Testament, we see in John uh, twenty three verses eight through ten, Jesus says, "Don't call anybody on earth." father or rabbi or master or teacher. And in my Bible, it says, because you have one teacher, the Christ. And at first I I had difficulty with that because I thought, well, wait a minute. In John 6, it says the father will teach you. And how can there only be one teacher? But Jesus says he doesn't say anything on his own. He only says what he hears from the father. So the source of the teaching isn't Jesus, it's the father. And then Jesus says in John 16, 13, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. And the next line says, but he doesn't speak on his own. He only speaks what he hears from the Father. So the Father's the source of whatever Jesus teaches you, whatever the Holy Spirit teaches you, but the Father's happy to teach you himself. 
And then in Ephesians 4, it says that uh, God gave four gifts to the, or five gifts, the fivefold ministry. I say four because some people think that pastor teacher is one gift. Some people think it's two. It's either four or five. doesn't matter. But God gave apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, and evangelists to the church to build up the church. So one of the leadership gifts is this gift of human teacher. And uh, people tell me I have that gift often. You know, oh, you've got the gift of teaching. Okay, but, and I'm not sure where this verse is found, but the New Testament says, if any of you speaks, you should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So if I'm explaining God's truth to somebody, I better be speaking what the Father would say if he was there doing the teaching. So ultimately, the source is the Father, the source is the Father, the source is the Father. Um, and in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 27, it specifically says you do not need anyone to teach you, any human, any person, because you have an anointing, and your anointing will teach you all things. Mm -hmm. That blows people's minds. They say, wait, wait, wait. The Holy Spirit, you know, my anointing will teach me all things? Instead of, instead of my, you know, my professional who stands up on a podium or on a, on a platform for an hour a week. And the beauty of this is that People can grow very quickly. They can multiply very quickly. Because, you know, the pastor gives a sermon on Sunday morning, maybe for 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, probably max an hour. But the rest of the week, who are you learning from? So if a person learns how to be a disciple who learns from God, then they can learn 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they just, you know, just obviously have a, a greater um, potential for learning just because the teacher that they're learning from is always available and he'll never steer them wrong. There's never the, um, you know, there's never the possibility of false teaching when God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the one doing the teaching. Wow. Hey, that is a, that's... That's an idea to, uh, to to marinate in for a little while and to uh, to, to really consider. So I think that's a good place to wrap things up for 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 this session. Uh, that we're not talking about dismantling mm -hmm. church as we know it. We're talking about uh, recapturing some of the practices of the New Testament church and teaching people to learn from. God the Father. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. I got an email yesterday, and uh, a pastor said, I don't, when I do the benediction at the end of my service, I don't dismiss the congregation. I send the congregation. I send them into the world to be agents of change for the kingdom of God. And see, that's just a subtle change. But, uh, you know, the idea that we are all to be kingdom multipliers every single person who calls himself a follower of Christ. And uh, so, absolutely. It's about, it's about growing to the level Jesus wants us to operate on. All right. Amen. Amen.